In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Welcome back to the True Life Podcast. We are here with a very incredible man. He's a producer, a performer, a comedian, a podcaster, a magician, a speaker, a storyteller, the one and only Jed Doherty. Did I leave anything out there? No, you're embarrassing me. I, I hope someday, someday I'm going to figure out how to do something good so I don't have to do all that stuff. <laughs> well, you know what? I've taken a look at a few of your sites. Um jedley.com and readingwithkids.com and i think you figured out how to do quite a things really good but it's an interesting journey maybe you could tell people a little bit more about yourself and how you got started sure yeah i um uh came out of college thinking that i was going to be a social worker well and i was for a bunch of years i was working with kids here in massachusetts in the juvenile justice system and i quickly discovered that i was pretty good at it but i also discovered that i it really is not a healthy way to live. Uh, I, I mean, I just, uh, I was, as we say here in Boston, I was like wicked poor. Um, I developed some very poor uh, lifestyle habits. Uh, there was twice of me back then. I just, you know, I went from being a college athlete to uh, a social worker and well, I became two people. And, um, and I just really wasn't in a good place. And I felt called to social work. I felt it was a, a heavenly calling, that it was something that I was meant to do. And when I finally sat down and said, you know, I really can't do this. It's, it's really hurting me just emotionally, physically. Um, and I went back and I said a prayer and I said, so I, I can't do this anymore. What do you want me to do? And I was literally crying uh, when I said that prayer. And I sat down at my table and I opened up the newspaper and I'm going through the pages and I, ca I can't see anything because I have tears in my eyes. And the first article that I'm able to focus on 
was an article announcing that Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey Circus were in town and they were having auditions for clowns that afternoon. And I looked up to heaven and I said, dude, you gotta be kidding. <laughs> but I listened and I went and um, I, I loved it. I did. I was in Boston garden, the place where I had seen so many of my heroes entertain us and win championships and here I was in the center of this arena and it certainly wasn't packed, but there were a couple of hundred people there and I was making people laugh. And that felt so awesome. And at that moment I said, uh, yeah, okay. Um, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to figure it out. Uh, and I did. And uh, with the help of uh, uh, my beautiful wife who I met through clowning, um, we figured out how to make a business out of it. And it's something that I did for 35 years. Man, it's, it's, it's an awesome story. And it, it seems like it's a sort of this Ariadne thread that has helped you find your way through this maze we call life, you know, and you social work. Gosh, I've, I've been around some situations that have been very disturbing, but also rewarding. And it seems like sometimes those rewarding situations, they come from heartache. And it seems like that's kind of what that's, it seems to me like that's where laughter comes from too. Sometimes it seems like we can't have laughter is like this sort of um, response to heartache or it's sort of a coping mechanism. Have you found that to be kind of true in the, in the beginning work you were doing? It certainly was. I mean, I think that I got a lot of my quote unquote comedy chops working in detention centers mm -hmm. and, you know, going in and just feeling in the air that uh, something is about to pop in this place. And I'm, I am vertically challenged and uh, <laughs> I, I better figure out a way to dis, you know, to uh, de-escalate this um, or I'm going to have to try to do it physically. And so we did, you know, a lot of humor um, and, uh, and so it certainly helped then, but also I think being able to share some of those stories, you know, talking to kids at that, at that time about their lives and helping them kind of figure out what, it, what went on in their life certainly has helped me as I'm creating uh, skits and telling stories through magic that aren't just silly, that they're, they're real powerful stories told in an entertaining and kind of fun way to, to, you know, hopefully inspire kids to uh, make great choices with their lives. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I've always found that this, this idea of storytelling has been with us since the beginning from Socrates to Sylvester, the cat, you know, it's this idea of being able to tell stories in a meaningful way is part of the human condition. And it sounds like you've you've found multiple ways to tell stories. And I'm wondering, can you can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how how is it that you put meaning into stories? Because you're doing them through magic, you're doing them through performance, you're doing them through skits, you're doing it through storytelling. So is there like a certain way you have found to imbue meaning in stories? And is it different for different methods? I think, you know, I haven't really thought about that. I know I'm different than a lot of other magicians and performers because I'm very willing to break down that fourth wall. And after I tell a magical story, we'll oftentimes say, you know, this was inspired by, 
and, and, and to let kids know that this is, you know, this isn't just a work of my imagination. My imagination isn't all that good. Um, this is something that really happened. Yeah, it's it's such a fascinating thing to be able to break through to a kid to to tell them a story or to perform a trick or be able to convey a message to them that you know they'll take with them. And I'm wondering, as somebody who's traveled around, like how, first, how long have you been doing this this whole thing for? Um, full time performing, uh, thirty five plus years. Um, I've been doing, uh, been, been the host of the reading with your kids podcast since 2017. So five years, um, I, I, I'm, the, the pandemic was a real pain in my, my neck, um, and all of our necks, because it meant, uh, that for a couple of years, there were no school assemblies. And, um, I, I did a number of shows via zoom and, um, as much fun as I'm having speaking to you via Zoom, performing for three, four, five hundred kids through Zoom is absolutely horrible. It's, it's just, true. You get no, there's no response because everybody's on mute and you're doing the show and you're telling jokes. And it's like, I gotta laugh at this joke myself. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, I'm gonna think I'm bombing. Um, but, but yeah, so uh, that was a long answer to a short question. No, it's a beautiful answer. I, I think it's true. I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on if you felt that way through Zoom and you're trying to perform through Zoom. How do you how do you see I'm willing to bet the same thing was true for kids through Zoom. Like I have a daughter who was around seven that time and she was going to school online. And, you know, it's this weird age where, you know, it's you kind of know the computer, but you kind of don't. So the parents kind of have to be there, but they kind of shouldn't. And much like you said, like there's this there is this sort of relationship that happens when, when you're next to me, when there's this felt presence of the other, when I can see you physically, I can see your face and I, I can feel your, your emotions and stuff like that. And, and that seems to be gone through zoom. How do you think that that changes education or like, can you see it, how it's changed your relationship with kids since this whole digitization has gone through? Well, one of the things that was most difficult for me is that my show is really totally interactive and something that I didn't realize until my daughter pointed it out to me when she was 12, she uh, used to come out and go on tour with me and perform with me um, lots of, at lots of shows. And she said, as we were driving home one day, she goes, you know, you're different in that you're not up on stage like most magicians saying, look at me, look at how cool I am. You bring the kids up on stage. They seem to do the magic trick. So you're all about saying, hey, look at this kid. Look how amazing this kid is. And while we can do that on some level through Zoom, um, it's, it's, it's not as powerful. You know, uh, when something, you know, appears and when i ask a kid live on stage to do something and then suddenly something appears in their hand and their friends can see this and it's like okay yeah you you are pretty special okay um <laughs> it, it, you, you just lose a lot of you, you can't do that when you when you're doing through zoom as for education i have to take my my beautiful wife uh just retired from teaching uh after 34 years and her, the last two years were spent, of course, mostly remote. And the thing that was most frustrating was that a, a lot of public schools were trying to reinvent the wheel. They were, they were trying to take what they were doing in class 
and do the exact same thing through Zoom when there are people who figured out this online learning. There's There's been online schools, K through 12, in colleges for at least a decade. And it's very different than the way you teach kids in class. And I got it on, you know, on March 17th when, you know, we said, okay, we're going to be out for two weeks and then we'll be right back to normal. I understood when the schools didn't, you know, feel a need to reach out. But I was I was pretty clear back in, in April of 2020 that this was going to be a long haul and the kids weren't going back to school for a, a long time. And at that point, still, it didn't seem like anybody said, hey, let's pick up the phone and see how these other folks have been doing it. Maybe we can replicate that instead of banging our heads against the wall, which is what so many people had to do. Yeah, I agree. It's It's a very interesting time to see how quickly the world is changing and to see the ramifications of those changes in almost real time. You know, I was, I, I, I was watching one of your videos and I just want to share with the, with the listening audience a little bit about, I'll try to paint him a picture here. And okay. so Jed is, Jed is on stage and he is performing this magic trick. And, um, it's, it's, he's got this bag and he brings up this adorable little girl on stage and there's this bag and this bag is empty. And this girl, Jed allows her, he puts the magic in her somehow, or he imbues the magic in her, and she makes this egg appear in this bag. But what the most magic part to me, like it was a great trick, and maybe I can get you to flesh it a little bit more in a second, but the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful parts that I thought about it was after the trick, everyone started clapping, and you reached over to that little girl, and you said, wow, all these people here are clapping for you. Doesn't that make you feel beautiful? Oh, man, that was so cool. It was like you gave her the spotlight and really allow her to understand what it's like to be adored by doing something beautiful. I thought that was awesome, Jen. Well, thank you. Thank you. I got to tell you a little yeah. back, back story about that. Uh, that was a, a New Year's Eve performance in New Bedford, Massachusetts. And uh, I believe we're in, we're in the New Bedford Art Museum. And she was just such a, a beautiful little kid. And I know the cable TV, cable access TV, who, who filmed that, they were coming in and they were setting up um, after I had started the performance. And when I saw, when her, when she saw the egg that she made appear inside the bag, when that appeared, her expression, I'm looking at her in expression and I'm thinking to myself, oh, please, I hope you caught that. This is so amazing. I believe, please tell me you caught that. But the, I saw I, I, that prop that I use. It's, it's a prop that lots of, of magicians use. It's called an egg bag. And it's a classic, it's kind of like a, a lot of people might refer to it as a, as a sucker trick. And the way a lot of magicians perform it is to get up on stage and, hey, reach inside the bag. Do you feel anything? No, it's empty. What do you mean? Here's an egg inside here. And, and you, you just make the person look stupid or it's a puzzle. Uh, and, and, and I was down in, in Washington, D.C. at Al Cohen's Magic Shop, a classic, classic magic shop. And I was there with my beautiful wife and my newborn son. And I walked into the shop and I said, hey, do you have something here that I might not have seen? And uh, the, the man behind the counter said, yes, we have an egg bag. And my first thing is, I know what an egg, I don't. But he showed me this and it was different because it was a, there was a mesh the front part of the bag was made of mesh so you could see 
into the bag. You reach your hand in, you could see that it was empty. And then when the egg appeared, it you, the egg appears in the bag. And he was he was demonstrating to me, oh, you can still make it make them feel silly and turn it around and hide the egg underneath it. And I saw it and I goes, I want that. And all I am going to do is have the person make the egg appear because that for my show, that was the most magic. There's nothing I mean, what could I have done after that girl had that expression and the people were entertained? There's nowhere I could go after that except to say, isn't she awesome? Yeah, it was it was beautiful. And it's I think it was a, a great look into what not only what one man can achieve, but what what one magician can achieve and how magic can steal the hearts of not only the crowd, but. Like that, that little girl will remember that forever. You know what I mean? Like th those are the kind of things that I think we as older adults or people can can create memories in the lives of children. And I think you might be doing that as well with your other website, readingwithyourkids.com. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that got started? Um, sure. Um, again, divine inspiration. Uh, I had been doing um, a podcast, a parenting podcast, and it was, it was Okay, but, but I was in, interviewing psychiatrists and psychologists and counselors, and I actually fell asleep during one of my interviews after doing <laughs> it for two years. And I said, "Okay, time time for this to end." But I um, so I went to some consultants and I said, "What should I do next?" And they they're like uh, asking me all these questions and charging me all this money. And they said, "You know, you do a lot of shows in Catholic schools." And faith is important to you. So you should do a Catholic podcast. You should go out and you should, that's, that's for you. You should become the Catholic podcaster and the Catholic magician and Catholic, Catholic, Catholic. And I was all set up for that. I had a domain set up and a website and I was about to push the button, but I said a prayer and I said, oh, you don't want me to do that. Okay. And, you know, and I, I thought a little bit more and I thought, you know, the relationship that I have and my beautiful wife has with our two adult kids was the foundation for that relationship was built when they were on our laps, when they were infants and we were reading with them every day and having conversations with them and asking them questions. What do you think about this? And, and what do you think should happen next? And what do you want to read? And I know that the fact that we're able to sit down and, and talk with them and spend time with them, uh, it it all goes back to the fact that that we did all that reading together through the time that they became independent readers up until middle school, and then you know when they they hit middle school, it was we shifted from books to watching TV together and talking about and doing the same thing, hitting the pause button. What do you think's happening? What do you think's going on? Having those conversations. So I realized that that's in, in, instead of trying to spread the gospel that, that these consultants thought I should do, um, that, uh, God really wanted me to, to share that secret that reading with your kids is so vital and so important and so awesome because it just makes it's great for the kids, but it makes you feel so good. You're spending time with your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews. And for 20 minutes, you're just there and you're in the zone together. And there's nothing else in the world. And you're not being distracted by a screen. 
and they're not worrying about getting likes on Instagram or TikTok and it's just YouTube. And that's beautiful. Yeah, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. There's, and it takes us back to the art of storytelling and for generations and probably throughout human history, there's been times where the family comes together. Sometimes it may be in a, you know, like the, at the Eleusinian Mysteries, or it may be at the amphitheater down from your house, or it might be in your own bedroom or your own living room. But you are you are participating in this human activity called storytelling or reading. And I, I think that you're spreading the gospel of critical thinking when you begin reading to a child. You allow them to begin making up their own ideas of what's happening. And there's something real. I bet you everyone has had this experience where. You go, you read the book, and then you go watch the movie. And you're like, oh, you know what? I kind of like the book better. There was way more in the book. Or the, they didn't do it justice. Or maybe you like the movie better, but at least you have something to compare it to. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that there's been quite a bit of studies that show how much more children achieve a better future when they read earlier. Is that some? Is that is that the kind of uh, oh. information stuff you looked into? When you there did? are there are so many benefits to reading with your kids, you know, and again, I came in, I'm, I'm a dummy, I'm a clown, I'm doing (laughs) shows. And so for me, the most important thing is growing close to your kids. And and to be honest with you, I still think that's the most important thing, but there are so many studies. I mean, kids, I just discovered, I ran across this one statistic, kids who are read to every day earn more money. You think, well, of course they're read, they're smarter. They read, no, no. They're more empathetic. When you read, you you develop empathy and you're a better teammate. You work better in a team. And so those people are going out and finding much more success in in life and in the the professional world. Um, A kid who is read to every day for 20 minutes, when they get to kindergarten, they will have heard over 800,000 more words than their peers who were not read to. And that, you know, we're talking about equity these days. That's, that's an inequity that never goes away. And because, you know, when that kid who wasn't read to starts kindergarten, when my kid starts kindergarten with this peer, it's my, my, my kids just going to, add on to those 800,000 more words. And that gap is going to grow and grow and grow. And, and I've sat down with, with um, reading experts and people who are really fighting hard for equity. And I'm like, so what do we do to close this gap? We, we don't tell parents to stop reading with their kids, right? And, and they're like, no, of course not. But we have to figure out ways to help those families. And there's lots of reasons why some parents aren't reading with their kids. It could be that they're not able to read. Um, I think I saw a statistic that a third of adults in the United States aren't readers, that they don't feel confident enough to read a kid's book. Wow. Um, you know, my beautiful wife, I sat down with her and I talked to her. I said, how can I get the parents in your school, the inner city schools in Boston, how can I get them to listen to my podcast, to read more. And my wife said, you know, uh, a lot of my parents can't speak English. Um, they're working three jobs to be able to afford. I don't know what it's like in Hawaii. Rent in Boston is, <laughs> is obscene. 
Yeah. And, you know, um, a, a single person has to work two or three jobs to afford an apartment. I, I truly don't know how people are affording um, to live. But so there's all these different things that are getting in, in the way of a lot of families reading with their kids. And one of the things that I'm hoping to do as we move forward with the podcast is to figure out ways to support those parents to give them more opportunities to read a lot of, you know, we, we, we talk about uh, one of the things we discovered is that having as few as 20 books in the home, it greatly increases a, ch a child's chance of going to university. Wow. Well, for me and my beautiful wife, 20 books in a library, that's nothing. Yeah. But for a lot of families, 20 books, 20 books, 15, $20 a book. Now we're talking three fifty-five, dollars you know, $400, $500. That's a lot. And um, so we need to figure out ways to support those, those families. If we truly want equity in our, our society, and I think we do, uh, we need to figure out ways to, to help those kids who aren't being read to. Yeah, that's... You, I see a lot of beauty in that. Like, while it's so, it seems like it's so daunting, this continuing widening gap between the haves and have-nots. In some ways, while it wouldn't happen overnight, the idea that it can significantly close the gap by by getting books in, just by getting books in the house, could close that gap. Like that seems that seems hopeful to me. It seems good to me, and you know. You, you're doing a lot of storytelling on your podcast. Pe like Theoretically, people could tune in. The kids could tune in to your podcast and hear a story. You know, The same way that maybe you or I would go to the library and someone would read to us when we were little or if we were lucky enough to have parents that did that. It sounds like you're almost providing that service for kids. Well, I mean, our podcast is primarily for adults. We introduce adults, okay. parents to authors of kids, of authors of books that they want to read with their kids. But we do occasionally have, and, and in fact, on Christmas Day, we have a group of authors who are coming on. They wrote an original short story. It's called St. Nicholas Eve. Uh, we just recorded it on Saturday morning. It is hilarious and awesome and really heartwarming. Um, so we do have special episodes like that. Um, and of course, a lot of the authors who come on, they do talk about... Um, their their inspirations and what what the inspiration for the stories was i was really surprised i was at a, at, at a homeschooling convention promoting the show and there are lots of kids there and they came up to me and they said oh i listened to your podcast in the car and i'm like you did yeah <laughs> who'd you listen to oh so and so and he goes that you like that and because it was a very mature conversation and this young these these kids were 9 10 11 years old they're going yeah yeah i, I just loved you know the talking about the story and the, that that she thought about this monster that came from the clouds and i'm like cool that's that's awesome that is awesome i um on a related note i, I remember a while maybe a couple of years ago my daughter and her class they wrote a story and it was during zoom it was one of the cool things that they did so the class had written a story and then on Zoom, the parents would come and then each kid would read like a, a paragraph of the story. And the story was so hilarious. It was about like this hot dog family who were cooking hamburgers in the park, you know, and like it was just so funny to me. And it, it makes me think like if if kids can 
maybe that's one way to get them excited about reading is to get them writing. And I'm, mm-hmm. I, what, what do you think the relationship is between writing stories and reading stories for kids? Well, I mean, if, if you want to be a writer and if your kid has aspirations to be a writer, I think they have to read. You know, it's just, you, I don't think you can do one without, you can certainly read without writing, but I don't think you can write without reading. Um, and it just opens your mind up to different styles of writing, different voices. And, um, so I think that that's, um, that's mandatory. Um, we do oftentimes ask authors, um, in fact, tomorrow's episode, it's, it's launching. So Today's the what? The 18th, 19th? I can't. I think it's the 19th. 19th. All right. So t- the tw- tomorrow on the December 20th, the episode that's releasing tomorrow is Rajani LaRocca. She is a multi-award winning author and she's come on to celebrate her books. And I said, can you come on and just talk about writing? Because your books are, they're not autobiographies, but they share a lot of your story. And can you, how do you, how do you do that? And the advice that she gives now, what when when she was talking on the show, she was had professional authors in mind as she was relating. But the advice that she gives, it's great for anybody. And her biggest thing is that when she starts to write, she starts with an emotion. So if she's writing about being bullied. She'll write about and remember a time in her life or in her kid's life when they were bullied. And they'll start with that emotion and what that went through and put that into the writing and the story. And um, and we've had a number of authors come on and share those little words of wisdom. Um, Jane Yolen, um, who's written over 400 books. Whoa. You know, when I asked her where, I said, 400 bucks, where do you get the inspiration? And she just said, there's inspiration all around you. You can find a story anywhere you go. Stand in the middle of an empty street and there is a story if you just open up your eyes and look for it. And so, um, yeah, so we've had lots of uh, great advice like that. A lot of uh, Jerry Spinelli. Um, who's written some classic middle grade novels shared with us. Um, you know, he, he said, everybody always tells you, write what you know. That, that's no, write what you love. Mm. Write about what you love. And um, so, yeah. So one of the things that we're doing um, in 2023 is just kind of finding those moments and just highlighting them and making it easy for people to go and like, you, if you have an interest, you have a kid who's interested in writing. Okay, here here's the links to these episodes. You can go and listen um, here and here and here and here. Yeah, that's amazing. That, those are some really. I'm, I'm gonna have to go back and listen to those. Those are some really good advice from some people that are clearly far down the path. You know, this idea that there's always a story somewhere. This idea that you should start from emotion. It, it's you know, after hearing it, you're like, yeah, that's probably a pretty that's probably why they're so successful is because they have these insights like that. It's yeah. fascinating to think about. I, I often wonder what the relationship is between emotions and stories and meaning. And 
it must be interesting for you to start if you started off as a social worker, you were probably just surrounded by emotions and maybe not the best emotions, but you know, it almost seems to me some of the best stories start at the corner of heartache and depression, you know, and then they move their way through or like what what are some of the most memorable people you've had on to tell their stories? Well, by far the the most memorable for a number of reasons was LeVar Burton. Um, it was early on in the show, uh, 2018, we might've been on for a year, but the reason LeVar came on the show was my son texted me one day out of the blue and he said, Hey, you should have LeVar Burton on your show. And I texted him back and I said, yeah, I should have a million dollars in the bank, but neither one of those things are going to happen. But then after thing, after I sent that text, um, I thought, what have I got to lose? And so I did a little research and found a contact and um, reached out to him. And uh, a day or two later, uh, his wife wrote back and said, yes. And he came on and he was so gracious, so in inspiring uh, and in such a, I mean, talk about a performer. I mean, just, you know, it was my first time creating content with, uh, you know, a, an award-winning Hollywood actor and, and somebody that I've looked up to for a long time. And, and I've enjoyed his performances. Um, I, I remember I said, what was the inspiration for you? What, what inspires this love of literacy in you? And he just went, Chad, my mom, my mom. Every day I would see her with a magazine or a book and, and, and she would talk to me about it. And I'm like, and, and I'm like, this is gold. And I was also thinking, this guy is good. <laughs> Great story. Um, but he also said something that was really powerful and that, you know, he said that re reading was emancipating mm. and that when we help a kid learn how to read, we give that kid the ability to go out and to think for themselves, to explore things for themselves, to not be dependent on somebody else to tell them how to think or what to do. Man, that is a, that's worth pausing for a moment right there. That's so, that is so true. It's, it's almost the keys to the kingdom. You know, mm -hmm. it's the ability to unlock doors. It's the ability to begin to live your own life and in doing so live a life worth living, you know? And I, I, man, I just, have, I got to stop from it. That's beautiful. It, it is a very liberating thing to read. And I've never thought about it like that. Another part I've never thought about was what you said earlier about how many words a child can be exposed to fundamentally changes their future. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it, it makes sense. It, it makes a whole lot of sense. I, I heard a stat a while back too, Jed, that said, you know, when kids go to school, it's not so much the school year that, that increases the gap. It's the time between school years. So if one kid is going off for the summer and they're reading or they're traveling, or they have two parents at home, you know, they're exposed to so many more words they are exposed to so much more. And then maybe, maybe like me, I was a, I had a single mom and so my summer was probably different than other people's summers, but 
they said it's, it's that gap in between. So when the kid goes from first grade, they're about equal. And then second grade, the kid during the summer learns a little more. And then by third, by fifth grade, those gaps in between the school years have become so great. It's almost impossible for the kid who hasn't been exposed to so much to catch up to the one that has. Yeah. I'm curious, have you, have you kind of seen something similar like that when you were doing social work or do you see, maybe your wife has seen it in education as well? Oh, absolutely. And, and it was one of the reasons why, and that every summer my kids had two or three, uh, what to do to keep up your skills workbooks over yeah. the summer. And, uh, and they loved doing it. You know, it, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, anytime we bought them software to use in the computer, computer game, all the games that they played um, were learning games. Um, and, and yeah, there, there is that. Yeah. You can see the, the kids who, uh, it, it, I mean, same thing in sports. You know, if you have two kids who love basketball and one kid goes to basketball camp over the summer, if they're, you know, start off yeah. and they're reasonably, you know, equal in terms of talent. And one kid goes to basketball camp for two or three weeks and comes back in the fall. There's a real good chance that he or she is going to have developed more skills over that time. You yeah. know, so it, it just, it, it just makes sense. Um, you're mentioning social work. One of the biggest regrets I have in social work is um, my kids rain, a, had a big age range gap. Um, you know, if I had a 10 year old and I had a 10 year old, my goal was to get that kid back into school. Uh, if I have an 18 year old, my goal was to help that kid get a job. And um, I was told that I was pretty successful and I had great relationships with most of, most of the, the kids that I work with. One of one of my clients, um, after I left the field, uh, invited me to be his best man at his wedding. We had a very, very small uh, wedding in his house just as the peace came over. And um, afterwards, people, you know, people giving him cards and they're like, oh, oh, you know, open it up, read the card. And and he's standing next to me. He goes, you read it. I goes, you no, they want to hear you. <laughs> and I realized at that moment something that I hadn't known he wasn't able to read mm. and that was not part of my mandate. But the minute that happened, I knew that the first thing I should have done with him is to, and with all of my clients was to figure out whether or not they could read, you know? And so I think that that's, we've as a, as a society, I think we've dropped the ball on a lot of kids. Um, Malcolm Mitchell, was on my show. Malcolm Mitchell is a former New England Patriot, world champion New England Patriot. Well, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was he was on one of the, the Super Bowl winning teams, and he came on the show. He is now a literacy advocate and a children's book author. And he told me that when he arrived at college after you know great career in in high school and then he gets to college and he's recruited and he has all these scholarships and a big man on campus, big guy, not afraid of anything. He sits down in this class and the teacher starts asking kids to read aloud and he becomes terrified because he remembers at that moment that he can't read. Wow. And he, here he is in college and he went back to his dorm and over the next year or two taught himself how to read by reading kids' picture books. 
And thankfully, he did that for himself. And, you know, he changed the trajectory of his life. But it shouldn't have happened. He never should have gotten, he never should have arrived at high school without somebody saying, this kid can't read. Yeah. We need to, we need to help him. How does that happen? Jed? How, how, do, how, is it, is it, is it because we don't want to admit that the education is it, it's not a funding in education. Is it because we, we, we're, we're, we're lying to ourselves. Like how, how does that happen? How can a kid even get into middle school without being able to read? I've, to be honest with you, I, I've, I've no idea. I know that uh, school systems, there's a lot of pressure, you know, from state governments, yeah. from federal governments, a lot of mandates that are not funded, a lot of mandates that aren't thought through. You know, I know that um, most schools are loath to, to keep a kid back. And in some cases, they're not able to keep a kid back. Um, and so we have in a lot of places, what's called, uh, social promotion mm. and kids are just, oh, you're 12 years old. You need to be in fifth grade. It doesn't matter that you can't read or do math. Just go to fifth grade and just be quiet. We'll, we'll push you through. Um, and, and I don't know why that's, that's happening. I, you know, teachers are heroes they're working really, really hard. Um, even the ones who are, who were paid well, aren't paid enough. Um, and they have all sorts of pressure on them. Um, I, if, if I knew the answer, um, I I'd share it. I'd wave my magic wand <laughs> and, and make things different, but I don't. Yeah. I, well, it seems that in some ways you are waving a magical wand because you've decided that doing nothing is not an answer and you're going forward and you're doing stuff to to try and address this this problem of reading and education and caring about people and making the community better. I wanted to touch on I, I've been noticing like this new um my daughter plays a uh her school works with some developers to develop apps and stuff and I, and I know that technology kind of gets a bad rap but I, I don't think it's 100% bad or 100% good. She's got some new games, like these math games, where you can go on and it kind of gamifies the math equations. And they're really interesting. And they have the same thing for like word games. And, you know, I think that there's some good to this. Obviously, mm -hmm. I think it should be held in um, relationship to actual class learning. I think that they have to go together. But it seems like there is some really good technology that's helping kids maybe learn and maybe even accelerate learning a little bit. Have you noticed some of these? Yeah. And we've had a lot of the developers come on the podcast to, to talk about that. Um, we, we have over, we published over 1600 episodes since 2017. <laughs> wow. So there's a lot of content. That's a lot. That's a lot. Um, and so we've, yeah, I mean, I think that there's, uh, as I mentioned, I mean, my son played learning games, um, you know, on, on, on computer way before there was streaming games, there, there were no, um, Mortal Kombat and all, I, I don't even know the name of the games, but when <laughs> my son was growing up, it wasn't about shooting and Mario brothers. It was, let's do this learning game here. And, um, I, I think technology can be fantastic. And I think, um, one of the things that I think parents have a responsibility is to become and, and help our kids become more media literate. Mm. 
as parents, we should know what kind of media our kids are consuming. And that doesn't mean that we ban certain things because if you try to ban something, they're just going to experience it somebody somewhere else. But if there's something that they're really interested in and that you find problematic, then you can talk about it and maybe you experience it together. Um, you know, if, if your kid is really wanting to play the grand theft auto and, you know, run people over in the street, I don't know. <laughs> maybe there's a way to, all right, we'll play this together and then we'll talk about it. And, and if you want to play this game, then I also want you to play this other game. And I want you, let's, let's see if we can develop some skills with, with these, with these other apps. So I think technology is, um, it's like a hammer. You yeah. can, you can use a hammer to build something beautiful or you can use it to smash and destroy. It's so true. I, um, you know, being a kid, this probably date me, but you know, looking back to like third grade, I remember my teacher like it was the treat after recess is that she would read one poem from where the sidewalk ends. And, you know, it's, it's this, and I, I often wonder like maybe poetry is the purest form of communication because when you, people read poems to you, you tend to get goosebumps or sometimes your face will get flushed or you get flooded with emotion. And that was like my first introduction to poetry as a kid is like where the sidewalk ends. There's all these forms like the haiku and there's these different things that, uh, you know, um, forgot the guy silver i think his name was silverstein Silverstein. yeah you know there's all these these particular methods he used and in some ways i think maybe exposing kids to literature that most people think may be over their heads whether it's even shakespeare or even if it's just poems in that that form i think exposing kids to that particular form you know it allows them like you said to, to not only see more words but to see more of the structure of language. And I think that that structure, I think kids are a lot smarter than we give them credit for. And yep. if we just expose it to them, I think that they can take that structure and begin plugging stuff in there and coming up with, with a lot more complicated ideas than, than we're used to. Is that crazy to think? No, not at all. And there are lots of studies that show that kids are able to listen to a story on a lot higher level than they're able to read it. So if you have a fifth grader and your fifth grader reads at a fifth grade level, they can certainly listen to a story that was written for a high school kid, especially if they're listening to it with you. Mm. They have opportunities to stop and ask questions. Uh, one of the great uh, interviews I had uh, was with uh, Father Greg Boyle who started Homeboy Industries out in Los Angeles, the largest gang intervention program in the world. And he wrote a, a, a couple of books. One was called Barking to the Choir. The other was Tattoos on the Heart. And they're true stories of, about experiences he had with these gang members. And a lot of the stories are heartbreaking because you see the trauma that these people went through that, led them to joining gangs and then they're trying to get their, their lives and, and, and change their lives and get out of the gangs. And, um, and a lot of times halfway through they're killed. And this is certainly not a book that most 
parents would think a 13 or 14 year old or 15 year old would, would want to read. But I think father Greg's message of radical kinship and seeing that we're related with everyone Mm. and that we have a responsibility to love and care for everyone is powerful. So I had father Greg on the show and I, it just so happened I was, we were nominated for the iHeartRadio Best Kids and Family Podcast Award. And so I was out in LA at the time I was trying to set up the interview. And he said, do you want to come here and do the interview live? And I said, dude, absolutely. (laughs) And I went and I saw Homeboy Industries and it's an incredible place. It's, you know, I was sitting there in in the waiting room and there's all these people that uh, had I seen them on the street, I'd probably be kind of frightened but in this this one place there was so much love going on and so that's a message that a 14 or 15 year old can hear especially with a parent they they can understand that and um and that's one of the things that father greg and i talked about is that yeah the language is is rough um especially when when you're listening to an audio book and you realize that this is a Catholic priest reading that, (laughs) but you know, um, but the message is, is real and it's powerful. And um, so I, I really encourage parents to, especially as their kids get older to grab audio books and listen to those audio books together and, and, and talk about them. It can really spark some, some very powerful and meaningful conversations between you and your kids. Yeah. It sounds like it really has the ability. A a lot of times as a parent, you, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say it a lot of times as a parent, as as for me, as a lot of times for me as a parent, I think I have all these great answers to these questions my kid would probably ask, but then my kid will ask a question that I had no idea that they were even thinking about. And those seem to be like the real questions that, that are burning inside of them. And, I could see how reading a book like the homeboy industries or having a, it's such a interesting mix of almost of of God meets situations that are almost horrific or are horrific in some ways. And in some, in that story, there's a lot of beauty to see healing being done, but you know, first you got to see the tragedy. First, Mm -hmm. you have to see the problem before you can find a solution it makes me think that that's what another thing that stories do is they allow us to participate in other people's tragedies. And whether you're listening with someone you love or you're listening by yourself, just the fact that you could learn by someone else's tragedies is such a gift. And it's something that we should be giving more of to our kids. And I think if maybe reading was explained that way, or maybe reading is something that so many of us have a love for it because we're able to see that in there. And I, I just wish we could expose more kids to it. But I, what do you think about this idea of exploring other people's tragedies? Well, you're mentioning the difference between reading a book and seeing the movie. Okay. And I remember um, reading Mystic River by Dennis Lehane. And it was a story set here in Boston. It was about a dad whose discovers, in one scene, his dad discovers his daughter has been murdered. And in seeing the movie, it's like 
uh, the cops are at this park that hasn't seen his daughter for a couple of days. Whereas my daughter, she's a teenager, probably with her friends. No big deal. Oh my goodness. The cops are down there. What's going on? Let me go down and see. Wait a minute. That's my daughter's. Oh my. In the book, we're in his head mm. and we are experiencing all the thoughts that he is going through the a range of emotions i'm mad he she missed her daughter's first communion and where is she i i love her she's so much such a big part of my life she's great and and she's usually so responsible but i'm so angry at her now and what's and boy you know there's no way you could it, portray that the way the book does in a movie so uh you know i think uh, experiencing somebody's tragedy is certainly uh, that's certainly something that that can happen through books because i think it gives you a chance to look in at the person and it's like um oh we're, we're just not getting the headlines car crashes into yeah. storefront kills one person we're learning about who the driver of the car was and what was going on in that person's life and who the person who got killed was. And, and, and we're just learning about all that other kind of stuff. Whereas typically we're just hearing headlines. Yeah. And I, th I think that's, that's true today. I think that's one of the reasons we're so divided right now as a society that all we're doing is responding to headlines. And it's like, uh, he said this, she said that Republicans mean uh, are, are bad because Democrats are bad because um, you're on my team. Okay. I'll go with you. I don't have to dig any deeper other than the fact that you're on the same team. You're wearing the same color as me. Um, that's why I wear all these colors. Um, you know, so I think, I, I think again, like LaVar said that, you know, when we read not only, when we learn how to read, but when it becomes a discipline, when we're actively going out and reading, we're able to look further and dig deeper than the headlines and, and uh, not have our thoughts and our emotions uh, controlled by somebody else. That is really well put. I was, I always go back to Marshall McLuhan who talks about the different, he says he wrote a book called the medium is the message. Mm -hmm. And he talked about hot mediums and cold mediums and a hot medium would be like television and a cold medium would be reading or listening to something. And the difference is in a hot medium like television or a movie, you are getting the idea put into your head. You're getting someone else's image put into your head and you do not have to come up with it. When you read something, you listen to it, you're making the movie in your own head. You're coming up with your own visions of how it is. And he says that the problem with that is that it almost creates like a digital feudalism because after we begin training people on television, it's so it's so effective. It's you know, people who like you can watch your kid watch TV or maybe sometimes you watch TV and like someone comes up and does this, you know, but you're so focused on it. Like that image is just being burned in your head. But when you're reading or you're listening, you're creating your own imagery. And the problem with these hot mediums is it actually it, it circumvents the critical thinking. Like you no longer have to put the story together. You no longer have to put yourself in the mind of the man in the mystic river. You no longer have to picture yourself missing his daughter. Instead, you've got this nice 
kit cookie cutter image put in your head and now you know exactly what to think you know exactly when to scream you know exactly when to yell whereas if you read that story you may find a part of the story much more offensive than i found it because of the experiences that you've been through and it just leads us down what you said this idea of clickbait headlines hot mediums and i i have to agree with you i think that that is the problem it's it's this and it's probably the road that to hell has been paved with good intentions. I'm sure that there's a lot of people that have want people to learn through television and, and there's a lot of good programs out there, but that medium is dangerous, especially when we start putting money into this idea of advertising. And, you know, so many of the cartoons went from being a cartoon to being a 30 minute advertisement for kids to watch. And so I, I I'm wondering what is your, you know, what do you think about this idea of, maybe the hot mediums like television or even the headlines in, in papers, might those be, might they better serve the public if we could get the money out of that? I mean, the short answer is sure. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, as somebody who's somewhat of an entrepreneur and, and running something that's kind of like a business, um, the question is, so how are you going to do it? You know, how you, how are you going to fund it? And there are certainly um, ways to fund things. And there, there's um, a lot of reporters on sub, you know, a platform right. like Substack uh, that, that are uh, able with to do reporting and they're being um, funded by, um, by their, by their viewers. Um, but it's different. It's very difficult. I mean, I think ideally, sure. Get the money out of it. Um, uh, but you know, money makes, um, money, money pays the bills for the internet to work. And yeah, you know, yeah, I do. I, um, I'm coming up on an hour, Jay. Are you doing okay on time? Um, well, my um my beautiful wife's trying to call me her brother is um having some kind of medical uh, hopefully not any any medical emergency but <laughs> well you should talk to um, her i can um i can have you come back and we can talk I'm, I'm having an absolute blast and i'm a talkomaniac so i could talk to you for another hour and a half you know but uh right, let me why don't you just stay there yeah absolutely you obviously gonna edit this right I, we're we're streaming live right now oh okay. that's fine if if you want to take a call <laughs> Then I can I can talk to people while you take a call and you come back. Okay, so how do I shut this off so you don't? Hear <laughs> I will mute it over here on, oh. on my side. Cool. Okay, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. So we are here with Jed. I wonder what you guys think. You know, I have been going down this rabbit hole of hot and cold mediums, and I really do believe what McLuhan was talking about is this idea of digital feudalism. And I, when I was speaking with Jed. I was thinking if you could get the money, if you could kind of get the advertising to be more, oh, I don't know. If you could get the advertising to be a little bit more responsible, then I think you could have content that will allow for a better all-around product, a better all-around service. And so the question Jed and I were talking about is, well, how do you do that? I think it's already happening. I think what you see happening is you know, when you have Substack, when you have podcasts, when you have all these different mediums, there's a lot of people making content for free. There's a lot of people making content 
with 100, 200, 1,000, 50 followers. And all of these people are taking away from the giant corporations, be it NBC or CNN or Fox. And so I think it's already happening. I think that the small individual content creator is in fact kind of undermining the very giant monoliths out there. I think we're seeing it happen right now. And you got to ask yourself, what kind of a lunatic is going to create content for free? Well, that's a pretty easy concept, I think, because there's a lot of lunatics out there. Like you're listening to one right now. But yeah, I, I think it's possible. I think that we can make better content for more people at a lower price. And I think I think the market wins that way. I think kids win that way. I think that even though there is a sea of content out there, even though there is almost an unconsumable amount of things to pay attention to, I think the cream rises to the top. And I think that you'll be able to find what it is you're looking for in a better form rather than being spoon-fed these ideas that other people are given to you. Like, you know, just take a look at the talking points that come from mainstream media. You know, it's it's usually the same script being read by a different face in a different state, in a different local, in a different colored suit. But it's the same message. And I, I can understand how we want the country we live in to be getting the same information. But that's not how it works. Everybody's different. Everybody's everybody is has a different, you know, view on things. And so let me bring back Jed here. Jed, I was just telling the people, you know, we were you and I were talking about how would you get the money out of this and create more of a responsible type of content for people to consume. And maybe it's happening already. Like you said, you mentioned Substack. There's tons of creators out here that are creating content for free. And you know, the, the guy that has a hundred views, the guy that has a thousand views or 50 or 10,000, you know, these guys are all slowly knocking down the mainstream media. That's just kind of spoon feeding everybody the same oatmeal every morning. What do you mm -hmm. think? Is that, is that too much to, to throw out there? I, I don't think it's too much to throw out there. I mean, you know, you take a look uh, at, um, Joe Rogan, who has right. a bigger audience than CNN. And yeah. MSNB, you know, like one of his episodes are heard by more people than 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 hear like all of CNN in a night, something crazy like that. But even him is, you know, his show has um, some sponsors, you know, it's their sponsors. Um, and then, of course, Spotify picked them up for, uh, you know, you can for a lot awful lot of money <laughs> so um so i guess his content is going out there without commercials and, you, and you're paying for it you know through spotify and i i think that there are going to be more and more um opportunities like that and i think a, a guy like rogan is scaring the heck out of people because i don't think you can easily put him in a red shirt or a blue shirt, you know, um, uh, one of the things, you know, uh, he, he took a big hit on COVID spreading, supposedly spreading COVID misinformation. 
but meanwhile, where were we getting most of our COVID, COVID information was from the big three television networks on their newscasts. And all of those newscasts are sponsored by the people who are profiting from coming up with COVID vaccines. I don't know if there's any, there's a connection. It just seems like, I don't, I, I'm listening to LeVar. I got to question that stuff. Yeah. Where there's smoke, there's fire usually, you know, I, um, you know, I guess it depends on, I guess it depends on who you prefer between George Orwell or Aldous Huxley or Ray Bradbury. You know, it just, it depends on what kind of future you're in there. I, um, it's interesting. I wonder, have you ever thought about, like, we look back on some of these books like Aldous Huxley's Brave New World or, or, um, you know, George Orwell or, you know, Ray Bradbury or some of these dystopian books or whatever. And, you know, do you think that one day, like, what do you think the books out right now, people might be like in 20 years from now, have you read any books that people might look back on 20 years from now and be like, Hey, this guy got it right here. Ah, boy. Um, <laughs> now my reading, my, my, my reading with adult books seems to be either informational. Okay. You know, or what all old guys who are, you know, um, mysteries, cop novels. Stuff yeah. Like that. I have a real, I used to love, um, it's fun. I've shared this on the podcast a bunch of times. Um, I was a huge Stephen King fan and horror and fantasy and all that stuff until the moment my son was born. And I was, I, I was in the middle of an Anne Rice novel I was halfway through it. I was loving it and I was devouring it. And we're I'm going through it. And then my son was born. And after we get home from the hospital, I go to pick that book up again and, and jump right back into that world of horror and tragedy. And I'm like, uh, I don't want to go here anymore. Nope, 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 nope. And so I put it down and he's he'll be turning 30 in July. Um, I read my first or I listened to my first Stephen King novel since that time back in October as I was driving back across country and it really wasn't all that much of a horror it's kind of fantasy and it was pretty good. Um, but, uh, and I could see myself reading another one like that, but not that really kind of crazy, creepy stuff anymore. I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know if that I answered your, your question. Yeah. I was just curious. I was just curious as to, Maybe what you were reading now, and it sounds for me, I, I've been, I find myself deviating into a world of science fiction when things get too rough for me or when things become too monotonous, you know, and I, I find myself just diving into a, there's this whole new world of um, like not role playing games, but almost like video game books now where like mm -hmm. they're telling stories from a, it's RPLG or something, role playing fantasy game, something like that. It's pretty, it's like, I've, I found myself like, I I first listened to one. And I'm like, this is interesting. Like they're talking about a book from a video game point of view. It's like this whole new genre. Have you read any books like that? Uh, we, I haven't read any, but we've had authors on who've written um, uh, a number of books, a uh, number of novels based on Minecraft. Uh, okay. And uh, so those interviews are, are were interesting, especially the first interview was interesting because I said, okay. First off, you had to tell me what Minecraft is because I don't know. I, I, I hear it. I know it's a video game, but I don't, you know, and um, I still can't tell you what it is, but it was 
it it is fascinating. It's I guess it's kind of like fan fiction, you know. Yeah, yeah. People, people loved watching Star Trek yep. and then they create their own Star Trek stories, novels, yep. whatnot. Um yeah, kind of, yeah, it's uh it's fun. I don't know if I could if I can get into the video game novels because I'm just not a video game. You know, I kind of my interest in video game kind of stopped at Palm. Yeah. <laughs> I had Atari. I had Atari back in the day. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, I um that's an interesting idea too, is that you know this idea this idea of and I this is just an idea. I don't I, I'm just get your opinion on this. Do you see that maybe there it seems to me in some ways there's like this idea of a prolonged adolescence? Like I don't play video games, but I know a lot of guys. I don't know a lot of guys my age, but I know I know a lot of guys a few years younger than me that play video games. Like I, I, I and I, I don't have that sort of bond to it. But it almost seems like a, it almost seems like video games have taken the place of reading for adults these days. It used to be an adult would get a book and you'd go. That's what you do on your off time. But now people are playing video games on their on their off times. What is your take on prolonged adolescence and video games taking the place of books for adults? Well, I don't, I, I don't know about prolonged adolescence because I think it was, it took me an awful long time to grow up and I'm not quite sure if, if I have yet, uh, yeah, I hear you. I'll check with my beautiful wife about that. Um, I certainly, I think for a lot of people, video games have, have replaced books and stories. Uh, they've certainly replaced movies and TV shows. Um, uh, they've replaced sports in a lot of ways. Uh, I am amazed that people will pay to go into an arena to watch somebody play a video game. That is mind boggling, but probably um, uh, when I was a kid, my dad was, you know, mind boggled that in eighth grade, I wanted to go watch Bruno San Martino and the rest of the guys in the WWF. Yeah. So, you know, um, I, 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 can't judge us. It's not something for me. Um, I think like anything, and I think reading can also be, have the same kind of issues when one of the things we've talked about on the podcast is technology is great. As long as you are using the technology and the technology is not using you. And I think that can be true of technology. I think it can be true of video games. I think it can be true of, of sports and, um, and I think reading, I think that, that, uh, you know, some people get lost in reading where they're not interacting with the real world, you know, mm. and it's like, oh, I, I'd rather live in this world than out there. Cause that, that's scary out there. And I have a little bit more control over here. Um, I, you know, uh, my life, my life isn't in a place where I can judge anybody else's life. I just have to worry about what's, what's going on in my life. Yeah, that's well said. And I, I, I see a lot of, when you, after hearing you say that, I, I think I can see a lot of similarities. Like in some ways, a video, a really good video game has a really good storyline and you get to participate in that storyline with it. The same way you could imagine yourself in someone else's shoes in a book, so too can you get to visually see yourself in a video game making real life or, or sort of real life decisions. So the, I think there's a lot of similarities there. And 
you know, it's it's definitely difficult to beat the visuals, especially with this idea of virtual reality or augmented reality. I'm curious how, you know, may, maybe maybe there could be a synthesis of the two. Maybe, you know, my family recently went to this Van Gogh museum where you got to go into the museum and it was like they put up the pictures and stuff and they, they marketed it as is, as if you were in the painting, even though you weren't in the painting. But I'm wondering if something could be similar for like a, a book. Like if you played an audio book and you could have some virtual goggles and you could be the character in that book, you could be like your choose your own adventure kind of a thing. And maybe you could synthesize the two. Maybe that's where we're going. Maybe we could be synthesizing video games and books. Is that too crazy to think about? No, not at all. Um, uh, one of my favorite recent guests is a um, uh, young woman uh, named Nick Yulo. And she is an author and an artist and a filmmaker. And she also writes scripts for video games. And, you know, and again, coming from the world of Pong, I, she had to explain that to me. And it is, it's, you know, um, it's, it's a, it's a fascinating world and, and the idea of, of, you know, the choose your own adventures and, mm. and, you know, that's kind of happening in a lot of those video games, you know, depending on what kind of choices you make, the story goes one way or the other, then you can play the game again, a second time, a different way. And it takes you in a different, different direction. Um, whether or not you're, you're, I, I think for me, again, going back to the premise of, of the podcast, reading with your kids, if your kids are into video games, instead of trying to dissuade them, uh, one of the mistakes I've shared this on the podcast, one of the things I mistakes I made with my, my son was uh, he loved graphic novels and anime. And I would go in and I would support that. And I'd take him, we'd buy him the anime and the graphic novels. And if I went on the road, I'd come home, I'd find something and bring it to him. But every once in a while, I would go into his room, he'd be, he'd be reading, um, and he, he would just devour these things. And I would go in and go, dude, can you please read a book just once this week? Read a book that doesn't have pictures in it. And I didn't appreciate the fact that the stories that he was reading there were stories and there was literature and there was some pretty great stuff. I would have known that if I had sat down with him when he was 13, 14, 15 and read those stories with him. Mm. And I think the same thing can be true if it's video games. And if a kid is really into a video game, Hey, let's do this together. Or if it's not something you don't want to do it together, well, I, you play it, then I'm going to play it. And then we're going to talk about it. And I think that's, that's really valuable. Um, whether or not you're talking about a video game, a book, um, anime, television shows, movies, music, I think it's real important to be listening mm. to the music that your kids are listening to. Again, not to ban it, but talk about it, you know, and if your kid is listening to something that you find really offensive, then just sit down with them and say, Hey, uh, I, you seem to like this, but this is what I'm hearing is, are you hearing the same thing? Can you help me? Can you help me understand why you think it's okay that we were, we're singing about this and maybe I can get there or maybe you can see this in a different light. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I, you know, when I think of great music, I think of storytelling again, you know, mm -hmm. I, 
I think of like John Cougar Mellencamp or a lot of country songs where they're talking about, or even, even in rap songs, you know, it seems like they're both talking about their dogs and their trucks. And, you know, there's probably some similarities there, but yeah, it's music. Music can be intoxicating and it can be beautiful and it, it can also be very thought provoking. And sometimes this, this medium of a, a, um, repeated idea behind music put into your head can be something that could be a little bit dangerous sometimes if you're not really cognitive of what you're thinking about. Mm -hmm. How do you think, what's the relationship between music and reading? Well, again, I mean, I think they're obviously two different styles of, of storytelling and, and messaging. One of the things that I think is important, going back to a point that I we talked about a little bit earlier in parents being media literate, I think it's really important that we help our kids become media literate as well. And we help our kids understand that every piece of media that they're exposed to, whether it's movies, video games, a book, uh, music, we're, we're, these, these media has been created by somebody to get us to do something mm. or to think a certain way. And when we're aware of that, then we're not, you know, the, then we're not as vulnerable to the unconscious message that might be being pounded into our head in a, in a, in a song, you know, or that might be delivered to us in a subtle way through a story that, you know, um, Hey, asking you kids to sit down and think, okay, so who created this? What are they thinking? What do you think it is that they want you to do? after you read this and is that something that you're okay with is that you know are the values being put forth in this commercial this music video this video game this this book are these values that are important to you um and uh or, or you know are you not sure and you're open to having your you know your mind changed about the about your values or are your values different now that you've sat down and you've read this? And is it because you've really thought about it and you've thought about the, you know, um, had a deeper thought about what your values are and now your, your view of those things are, are changed because of the, the arguments made in this book or were you manipulated somehow? Okay. So this brings up a fascinating point Jed, that I think that you're uniquely qualified oh my to talk goodness. about. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Okay, so that sounds like a magic trick to me. Like if 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 you show me a magic trick and mm -hmm. I go, wow, that's amazing, but then you show me how to do that trick, I probably don't want to see it a whole lot anymore because I know he did it. And the same way with what people are doing with exactly what you said. Hey, this person wants you to think this, but once you show them the trick, hey, they want you to think that. Now they now kind of it wipes away the magic from it. And that's not good for a magician, but it's great for people that are trying to get us to do things. Is there is there some similarities there? Uh, you you hit the nail on, on the head. My beautiful wife, when we first got married and I started, you know, my career, um, we would go to a lot of magic shows um, and she would sit in the audience and she'd go, how did he do that? And I don't keep secrets from my wife. I would just say, do you really want to know? And she would say, yes. And I would say, okay this is how it's done. And she would always go, damn it. <laughs> don't tell me that anymore. <laughs> and so I don't, she doesn't, she also doesn't ask anymore. Um, 
but yeah, unless you are, you know, an aficionado of magic and of technique and whatnot, then yeah, when you learn the secret, it's like, oh, okay, it's not so much fun anymore. Uh, I think, I think when we arm our kids with that knowledge that, hey, this person just didn't wake up one morning and decide to just write this and, you know, fill the world with flowers. There's a purpose behind this. You know, this publishing house decided to publish this book because they thought that this topic was hot and they could sell a lot of books and make a lot of money out of it. That's okay, but just be aware of that. Yeah. What I would, I would love to see the performance art of Jed lead. And it's, this may go against the code, but I, I would love to see that performance of here's a, here's a piece of, um, of, of literature or an advertisement. Here's a magic trick. I'm going to show you the magic trick and I'm going to show you what the advertisers want. I think you could just blow kids' minds by getting them to see how the magic behind advertising isn't really that magic. And it's, it, you know, but I, I wouldn't want to, you don't want to take it from the magic though. So maybe that's not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That, that could be above <laughs> my pay grade. I'm not sure. But certainly where, you know, I, I, when my kids growing up, I was all about, you know, like, you know, when my kids would ask me, why, why do they do that? Well, they want to sell tickets to this yeah. movie. They want to get you in here. And, and again, that's not a necessarily an evil thing, but be aware of that. You know, you, you're being, uh, you know, the, the person who created this wants you to feel a certain way. Going back to Rajani and her advice of, of like, when you start writing, write with an emotion. Mm. She wants people to feel that emotion. She's a, a wonderful author. She's a wonderful person. She's a physician here in Boston. Um, I don't think that she has any, um, you know, uh, mal thoughts in, you know, in, in her head or, or in intentions, but she does, you know, when she's writing a book, she wants you to feel what it's like and that's fine, but it's important for your kids. I think it's important for all of us to just understand that it's, you know, it's, being literate yeah so i sometimes i put on my 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 um sometimes i i sat I, when i went when my daughter first started going to school i had sat down with the admissions officer and she had asked me what i thought about modern day education and what i thought about what what kind of environment i want my kid to be in and it i had to think for a minute and i had told her that you know i was aware that you know, when industrialization happened, our country sort of turned towards raising and and um, educating obedient workers. And we had set up this model where the kids would sit in a room with a figure, with a, you know, a authority figure, and there would be bells and whistles, sort of like Pavlovian dogs, and you would need a pass to go to the bathroom. And they they, according to the Prussian school model, they had set up this system that was training people to go and do a workforce and build products. That's what we needed at that time. And I think that we still see echoes of that in today's public education system. And, you know, there are some great schools like the Montessori schools or the Reggio philosophy where kids are doing more hands-on stuff and they're spending time in groups and they're learning relationships and they're doing different required reading and 
you know, they're learning through different methodologies. I'm wondering if, if, have you seen that in the school system? Like maybe some of the school system we're still using is a little bit outdated. Well, I think that there's a lot that can be done in, in school systems. Uh, again, I think, especially if you're talking about public school system, I think that in a lot of ways, it certainly individual teachers, yeah. their hands are tied yes. as to what they can and they can't do. Um, one of the, the really simple things that happened, my kids attended Catholic schools and when it, it was a simple thing, it wasn't innovative. It was something that happened when I went to school, went to public school, but the eighth graders would come down and be reading buddies with the first graders. And there'd be one-on-one -on -one relationships and, you know, they would read to the kids and, and listen as the, the first graders read back to them. They would develop a friendship. The first graders loved it. The older kids loved it. It really made a bond within the school, made it much more of a family setting. When the first of the kindergartners or first graders would go through the hallway and they see their reading buddies, the big kids, they'd, that's my pal and wave to them. And it was, it was a wonderful thing, but it can't be done in most public schools because we don't do that. We don't have time for that. We need to do, you know, this in this box and that in that box. Um, so I, I think, I, I think one of the answers is giving parents more choice as to, you know, what kind of schools their, their kids are going to. Uh, we were really blessed in that we could make a choice yeah. as to what kind of schools my, my kids attended as they, they went through kindergarten through high school. Um, a lot of families don't have that choice and they they might be in a community where the school that they are sent to based on geography is really failing and um, it's failing for a number of reasons and there's no one directly to blame, but there's also no real solutions in the foreseeable future. Maybe it's going to change after 10 or 15 years, but what's going to happen to those kids in the meantime? So um, I'm just giving you these long winded answers to simple questions. <laughs> no, they're, I, I love it. Like those are great answers. And I, I admire what you're doing and I admire how you think. And that, that's why I'm asking. I, I find it fascinating. And I, I think we share some similar passions on building a better future through education and reading. And I guess since we're going down this, this, this philosophical mindset, you know, I, I happen to believe <clears throat> that there's a lack of spirituality. Now, not, not everybody believes in the same type of God or, whether it's a Kua or Muhammad or God or Buddha, like there's so much beautiful lessons people can learn when you have a connection to spirituality. And I, you know, talk about different scriptures. There's so much you can learn from different books. And it, sometimes it seems to get a bad rap in education, especially maybe over the last 20 years. But I have found, and this is just my personal opinion, that there's almost an emptiness without spirituality and learning. And I think it's this idea of spirituality that runs like a thread through all the different subjects. And it kind of, you know, if, if you look at the spiritual angle, you can see the spiritual angle of English or language. And you can see the spiritual angle of science. And I really think that spirituality shouldn't be something we're afraid of, but should be used as a as a, something that can tie everything together. And it doesn't have to be in your face or 
you know, evangelical, but, you know, I, I think that there's a place for it. And I think that because it has not had a place in so many, or it's been pushed out, I think kids are lacking that a little bit, in my opinion. What do you think about that? I, I, I can't disagree with you. Um, and, and I agree that there, there are, there's wisdom in all of the yeah. different scriptures. And I, I'll share this with you. Yeah, my, please. My, my kids, um, again, um, uh, and, and Catholic school, one of the parents there, my kids are very involved, especially in high school, uh, in, in church and in the services. And, uh, one parent came up to me and said, Oh, you must be so proud. Your kids are up there and they're involved. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of them for a lot of different things. And that's, that's cool that they, they find some meaning here at church. And she said, I'm so, I'm so worried because, you know, my daughter's going off um, to college and that's when they start questioning their faith. And, and that, that's horrible. And I said, no, it ain't. <laughs> it's not at all. And um, going back to something that father Greg wrote, if, if your faith can't stand up to questions, then you're in the wrong faith. You know, um, I encouraged my kids to ask questions. And, you know, we had a lot of, of, of conversations uh, about different things that went on in our church. I, I've done extensive study of various world religions just as a hobby, uh, something, you know, that I did, especially when they were in their faith formation years in high school. And, um, you know, and they were coming home and they were saying, oh, the, 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 the teacher told us X, Y, and Z and that you can't question anything in the Bible. And I'm like, going, well, let's sit down and talk about that. Let's see. You know, um, the Bible was actually written 90 years after <laughs> Jesus died. So like no one that read the Bible was actually hanging out with them. So let's just get that straight. And, and you know, but I wanted my kids to understand that, you know, there, there are things, if you have questions, ask your questions. If you, if something is more attracted to you, it speaks to you, go for it. Um, and I, I, th I think this thing that's, that's um, difficult is that when we don't have a religion or a faith or a spirituality, there's a void and it's going to be filled by something. You know, and a lot of parts of the world that was filled by communism, you know, um, not saying communism is, I personally am not a big fan of it. They don't seem to do it well. But I mean, you know, on paper, communism is wonderful. It just hasn't worked out. And, um, you know, there, there's going to be something that fills that need yeah. for people. And so I think, yeah, I I, I don't exactly know how you do it in a public school where there's supposed to be a, a separation between church and state. Um, I know that separation is greater on the coast than it is in the Midwest. Uh, I have this, I have this trick that I do when I, I go out into the audience and I'll hand kids little green beads and we're going to do something magical with those green beads. But before that, I want you to tell me, I want, while you're holding that bead, I want you to think about something that you're thankful for. And most schools, and my son, when I came up with this, he was in middle school at the time. He goes, dad, you, you can't do this with middle school kids. They're going to say all sorts of inappropriate things that they're thankful <laughs> 
And no one has. One, one kid said he was thankful for pizza. But other than that, it's been really, it's been, I'm thankful for my mom, I'm thankful for my family, my friends, the ability, my teachers, all that kind of stuff. In the Midwest, it's, I am thankful that I have a relationship with my Lord and Savior. And I'm like, okay, you can't say that, can you? And the teacher's like, oh, that's fine. I'm like, okay, fine. Um, so I, I, I don't know. Um, how, how you do, I mean, I don't know how you do it without kind of influencing, you know, someone, a teacher up there, like, oh, I, I, my, my brain just kind of stopped thinking here. I apologize. <laughs> it's uh, a tough question. It's, it's, and I don't think anybody has the answer. Otherwise we would have solved the problem. Yeah. And, and maybe, maybe it's a, you know, maybe it's not a question for the country to decide. Maybe it's a question for each individual to decide. And so there, there is no answer. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think it's definitely a, a question for parents and something parents yeah. should want to talk about. Um, and I was very much the, 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 the high school that my daughter attended uh, was an international high school. And mm. one of the things that they did, they did have a world religion um, course there. And I was very excited about that because I wanted her to know uh, about Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam and all those other faiths and religions, because I do, again, I think that there are truths in all of those, those, those scriptures. Yeah. I once, I, I forgot where I read it, but I once heard that the great uh, scriptures of yesteryear are like fingers pointing to the moon, but everybody gets caught up in the finger instead of what it's pointing at, you know? And like being in Hawaii, you know, I was born and raised in Southern California and I kind of lived over in Caucasian acres. And so when I moved over here to Hawaii, I was just, you know, I was submerged in a myriad of different cultures and, you know, the Filipino culture and the Japanese culture and the Chinese and the Hawaiian. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I'm, I turn out being the minority. And one thing I've learned by traveling and putting yourself in situations that you're foreign to is that you learn a lot about who you are and where you're from. And I got to learn how much I didn't know. And there's so many different cultures that, you know, you had mentioned um, about your child, you know, uh, not questioning some biblical texts. And then you had mentioned, well, this was actually written by so-and-so. And so one thing that I want to underscore there is this idea that you know translation means interpretation and we interpret things so much different and when you translate a word you translate an idea and sometimes you translate a vision and you know one little change up here can have radical changes way down here and it's just it's it's so fascinating and i feel so fortunate to get to be in a position where i can learn and travel or or get to talk to cool people and before i got to do any of that I got to read and I think reading leads you down these paths of thinking and it leads you to such a rich environment. And that's why I, I want to say thank you to, to you, Jedley, for, for going out and helping kids read, for doing what you're doing, for being a producer, being a performer, a comedian, a storyteller, helping kids read and traveling the, the country and, and doing, I think you're doing amazing work and I, I love talking to you and I, I'm having a great time. But as, as I'm landing the plane here, I would like to know, what do you have coming up? Where can people find you? And what are you excited about? Oh, I am excited 
uh, about a lot of different things. Um, again, I'm, I'm really excited about people listening to Rajani LaRocca tomorrow on the podcast. It's available. Uh, you can find it on our website, readingwithyourkids.com. We are on, uh, as I'm sure you are, Georgia, Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts and about a hundred other different podcasting platforms that I haven't even heard about yet. <laughs> Just get an email. Oh, you know, I'm on such and such. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and, um, but it's cool. So anywhere you find your podcast, you can find the reading with your kids podcast. Um, excited to be able to do some more performing live performing, getting back into schools. Uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm approaching a hundred years old. So the idea of traveling around and doing three or four, you know, doing three or four shows a day is awesome. And I love it. Dragging my equipment in and out of a school three or four times a day. Ain't not so much. So, um, I'm happy that I'm going to be touring again and performing and also happy, happy that it's not necessarily going to be two or 300 shows a year. It's going to be a more manageable number. I like you, I love the fact that I'm doing a podcast. It is such a blessing to be able to speak to so many amazing people. I mean, I'm sure you've experienced this. It's like, Oh, I, I, I had, um, the woman who is known and, and my mind just went blank, but she is known as her deepness. Fabian Cousteau, the son of Jacques Cousteau, who's a famous oceanographer. He worships this woman and she, her team reached out to me and said, can we be on your podcast? And I'm like, dude, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so I got to sit down with her for a half an hour and talk to her about the ocean and stuff. You know, and it's like, she shouldn't be talking to a dope like me. I don't know anything, but she's willing to do it. And again, authors and psychologists and guys like Father Greg and you, and it's just, I I just so feel so blessed at this time in my life. I'm really excited. We're going to be celebrating our sixth anniversary in February. Um, oh, one thing too, if two, two new things that are happening in the new year. One, we have this new uh, companion project that is for kids. It's called drawing with your kids and it's going to be a YouTube channel. We're also going to have a website drawing with your kids.com and beginning in the new year, we're inviting illustrators to come on and give a quick little lesson of how to draw a character from their book. And we already, have, uh, we've, uh, recorded four or five of them and they're amazing. Uh, Nick, Ulo, who I mentioned earlier, does one of them, uh, Lauren Castillo, uh, came on and, and did it. Uh, we have a number of other illustrators who've said that they're going to come on. Um, uh, as we say here in Boston, I'm wicked excited about that. <laughs> I'm also, um, George, you can probably relate to this as a podcaster. I get stuff in the mail. People want me to check out their book or whatever. And so what we'll be doing at, at these, at live events, we've been giving some of these away or doing a giveaway on, on the podcast in 2023, we're going to be trying to change the trajectory of some kids' lives. And so instead of doing a one book here, one book there, I, I mentioned earlier that having as few as 20 books can greatly enhance the chance of a kid going to university, having those 20 books in your house. 
So instead of giving one book away at a time each month, we're going to give away a, a little library of 20 to 30 books to one family. And um, I'm, I'm really wicked, wicked, wicked excited about that. Um, we have a local supermarket here and, and our neighborhood is going to help us launch in January. And we'll have all sorts of information where parents anywhere can, can sign up and um, maybe win a little library of 30 books. And, um, you know, for a, a family living, you know, paycheck to paycheck, that could make a huge dif difference in someone's life. And I'm really excited about that. Yeah, those are all awesome. And it, it is life changing and it is exciting. And it's it's cool to be a catalyst to do that and maybe change the trajectory of someone's life. You know, it's it's amazing what what so a dedicated person can do if they're willing to take a chance and do it. And I, I am, uh, I'm excited to talk to you, Jed. I feel thankful and I'm, I'm truly thankful for what you're doing. And uh, I look forward to the show tomorrow and I look forward to going back and, and listening to some of these podcasts that we had talked about. And I look forward to the future and, and, and talking with you more in the future and being a part of anything I can do to help. So thank you for that. George, thank you so much for having me on your show. You know, talking to somebody in Hawaii, it, it made me warm because it's like 28 <laughs> degrees here in Boston today and um, it ain't warm at all. And uh, so you warm up my heart. So thank you very much for that. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it was, it got kind of cold today. It got down to like 69. So don't even oh. say that. Don't even say My friend <laughs> lives in Orlando and he does that to me. I like, sent me a text this morning. Oh, it's freezing. It's 55. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to drive down there and kick you in the butt. Awesome. Well, Jed, I will. Uh, I'll shoot you over all the all the information once we once I get it all up. I'll get you the raw MP3 and MP4. You feel free to do with it what you like, and uh, I'll be in touch. And um, yeah, thank you so much for today. I had a great time, and I'll talk to you soon. We'll do it again. Awesome. Thank you very much, my friend. Okay. Aloha.
Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.